your hosts have earned a reputation as fierce and effective advocates inside and outside of the courtroom. Both partners are experienced trial attorneys who have been board certified in family law by the Texas Board of Legal Specialization. We're starting a mental health and addiction series where we will discuss how various mental health or substance abuse issues can affect litigation and family law cases. Divorcing someone with mental health or substance abuse issues can be challenging. Over the next couple of months, we'll discuss the best ways to make it through these proceedings. All right. So for this episode in the series about mental health and addiction and family law litigation, uh, we want to talk about a kind of common issue that we see coming up. We see in our work a lot of spouses that either formally or not necessarily formally, but there's certainly suspicion that one or both of the parties suffers from narcissistic personality disorder. And so we want to take the opportunity to sort of talk about it. Now, obviously, Brian and I aren't mental health professionals, but we as lay people and seeing this in, in our work, we run across this uh, this situation a lot. And we get a a lot of phone calls from people saying that they suspect or they actually have proof that their spouse suffers from narcissistic personality disorder. So I guess just sort of kicking off though, as for a lay person and somebody that does that sees us all the time though in his practice, Brian, how would you describe you know kind of what you see as narcissistic personality disorder and how it plays out in family law and divorce? I guess family law and divorce. Right, exactly. It is fundamentally the inability to focus on anyone needs but your own or to focus on your needs, the person suffering from this, to the almost to the complete exclusion of another person. So, you know, it's perfectly normal for a person to want what's best for themselves, right? That's healthy in a lot of ways. You want to, if you're hungry, you should eat. If you're, you know, lonely, you might want to make friends or spend more time with your family or whatever. That's okay. That's our body and our mind telling us how to, you know, be happier, better people, but it can cross a line to where it's a problem. I guess that's true of a lot of things you know, in moderation, a lot of things are good and in extreme, they're not. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, you know, it's the cause, it can be the cause of the breakup of a relationship. If you have one spouse, I mean, a marriage is a partnership. Brian and you are, you and I are both married. We've both been through a divorce. I mean, you have to have both parties, both sides uh, of the coin committed to the relationship. And that takes a lot of compromise, you know, moving forward and being able to empathize with the other side and empathize with what somebody else is saying. I mean, my personal experience is I don't think a good marriage requires that you agree on every single issue, but it does require that you are willing to talk and listen and consider the the other side of what somebody's saying, particularly your spouse and partner. And I get like calls all the time from clients and you can just sort of tell when they describe their relationship that the other side is just uncompromising. That, you know, their, their husband or their wife is just cannot see it his or her way, is unwilling to compromise. You know, I want I want to go to marriage counseling. Nope, I will not go to marriage counseling. I have nothing wrong with me. You know, I want us to work on this particular issue. Nope, you're 100% wrong. I'm 100% right. And I can't even see it your way. And that can cause the breakup of a marriage in you know, people calling us and, and we see that that story time and time again, whether or not there's a formal diagnosis that you're married to a narcissist, or you can just sort of tell that that's an issue in the marriage. That's how I see it, at least in the sort of the initial consult, we can talk about how it plays itself out in litigation. But I see that as a lot of times as a cause for the breakup of a marriage. And then it spills into, you know, if you got kids, obviously it spills into all aspects of the life in, in the litigation. But, you know, Brian, which ways have you sort of seen it affect the way people raise kids together? If you have one spouse that just can't see it the other side's way. Right. That can cover things like the amount of time that's spent with the kids, the amount of money that's spent on them, the way that they're 
raised, disciplined, educated. It's almost every facet of it uh, that you can think of. You know, just, I mean, the, the financial example is a good one. I think it, it's often probably the least serious problem, but but it's often the clearest one is, you know, there's a, most people live in a world with a budget and limited means and you know, and there's kind of money you can spend as a husband could go spend on himself or the wife could go spend on herself or you could spend on your kids to put it in three, you know, to simplify it into those three things. And if you've got a narcissistic personality disorder or husband, he's going to find it difficult or impossible to put money into spending it for what the kids need or what the wife needs. He's going to want to spend it on himself. And he's worked it out in his mind that that's the right thing to do. And anybody who disagrees with him is, you know, is wrong. So that's a simple example. I mean, there's certainly more. Well, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think before we turn more specifically to the kids stuff, just the way people conduct themselves in, in litigation. I mean, ultimately, you know, people are in our office, they're going through a divorce, the relationship hasn't worked out. But that doesn't always mean, I tell my clients, even the concept, that doesn't mean that people have to be at war with each other. There's some cases that just for whatever reason, because of the personalities or just because of the nature of the dispute, just it's just fighting like cats and dogs and everything. And, you know, Sometimes it's both sides' fault. Sometimes it's one side's fault. Sometimes it's neither side's fault. And, you know, we have to deal with that as lawyers and we have to be there for our clients, fight for their interests and what's best for the family and their kids. But when you see, you know, a narcissistic personality disorder, because what I was going to say is, you know, litigation, it still does ultimately require some empathy to the other side, right? If you're going to go settle your divorce, you're going to go to mediation and you're going to agree to something that's less than perfect, you know, frankly, because you're going to compromise and you're going to make that decision to resolve resolve your divorce and compromise. And then if the other side's being unrealistic, then obviously you're not going to compromise. You're going to go to court. But the narcissist, what you see is there's just no compromise, right? It's just my way or the highway. It's absolutely everything that I want. I win everything. You lose everything. And I just can't see it. And I can't compromise. And those, frankly, are a lot of the cases that get pushed to final trial when the other side just cannot recognize that his or her position is anything but 100% right and that there could possibly be another way of looking at the world. And those cases, frankly, end up in a lot more litigation because you can't work things out. You can't settle your divorce. You can't even settle or work out the motion to compel that you have of whether or not the wife or the husband has to produce bank statements or tax returns or something obvious. Everything's a fight. And it's important, I think, as you know, people need to understand going through that kids are not kids. If you're divorcing a narcissist, you have to be ready for that. You have to be ready for that emotionally. You have to be ready for that with your lawyer that you, you know, because if you're married to a narcissist, you know that just giving him or her their way is not going to end it. It's not like they're going to say, thank you for seeing it my way on this one. I'm going to see it your way on the next one. It's not like that. It's this all or nothing. And so I see it in litigation where people that are going through a divorce with either a diagnosed or somebody that, that we all suspect is narcissistic, they're going to court for everything and they're going to have to go find really good lawyers to, to deal with the bully because otherwise it's not going to stop. Yeah. I mean, it's a little bit like a hostage situation sometimes when I'm talking to these folks who, you know, who are married to a narcissist or, or have a child with one, you know, they know because they've been dealing with this person that it's going to be a very hard, difficult battle about everything, like you said, about sharing documents or, and plus all the important things too. And they're hesitant, you know, I don't know if I want to file this. I don't know if I want to take this step because I don't want to go through the living hell of litigating with this person behind door two is living with them for the, right. <laughs> for the foreseeable future. It's, it's like it's a bad situation. And um, some of them will stay in because they don't want to go through that and hope that it gets better. I'm not here to judge that. That might be the right choice. It might not be, but it's that's certainly what a lot of folks see. Now, I will say this on the bright side, and there isn't a lot of bright side to when you're married or have a child with somebody with this problem, is that those folks who insist on going to court 
because they think they're right because they have this disorder. The judge usually doesn't, or the jury usually doesn't see it that way. They are, that's part of this disorder is that you don't see, you can't see yourself very clearly. You can't, you don't have much self-awareness. And so you think if you have narcissism, personality disorder, hey, I'm correct. The other person's wrong. And other people probably don't see it that way. So when they, if they do force the issue to court, if someone's willing to stand up to them and force it into a courtroom, that usually goes bad for the person with the disorder and well for the person who's been standing up to it. That's the good news. The bad news is you got to get to court and that's a long, difficult and expensive process. Well, you got to have that conversation with your lawyer. I think it's important for people telling the consult, like, you know, you need to understand the way this person views the world because that is information that I need to know, you know, because I need to take that information when I'm talking to my client about, do we set hearings? Do we kind of let this one slide or try to work more with the other side than maybe we we knew that this person had this personality disorder? And then do I need to be gearing up your case for final trial? Because yeah, I think that is a lot of times, you know, that's frankly, that sometimes that's the only way to get divorced from narcissists is just put your head down and you got to go work it out in final trial. I also say to your point, Brian, we say, I think our judges do a really good job. I think our juries do a really good job when you get there. You know, it's all my clients, though, when they come to me in the initial consult, it's, you know, oh, he's he's so smooth or she's so smooth that they're going to convince everybody. Everybody thinks they're the great person. A lot of times that's the narcissist having told their spouse, you know, how everybody likes me and I'm so right. And to the point where their spouse believes it. And then as you go through the case, you get the distance of that relationship and you see it from an outside perspective or you see how it plays out in the courtroom. That's light bulb kind of goes off and you see, oh, this person, you know, shining light on disorder. Actually, you know, it doesn't play out the way the narcissist thinks it's going to. And it's a great relief, I think, for a lot of our clients when they see that there's accountability and that, that they're not alone. It feels like they've been gaslighted their whole relationship. And then once they get out of it, realize that nobody sees it the way that their spouse does, except for their spouse. Well, I was going to say, you know, as far as going to court, Brian, you think it's necessary to have like the formal diagnosis? If you suspect that, what are ways to go? I mean, it's huge shock, right? A lot of narcissists don't go seek mental health treatment because why would I? I'm right on everything. I got nothing to talk about. So it's, I think it's pretty rare if not, I don't know if I've ever seen it, where somebody comes in having been previously diagnosed as narcissistic personality disorder, formal diagnosis by a mental health professional. One, is that necessary? And then two, how would you go about getting that diagnosis in family law litigation? Yeah, I mean, I think it would be helpful to have it if uh, you suspect it because it's a tool for a court or a, or a jury to use to decide, okay, this is the type of person I'm dealing with. And this is how I need to structure their division of property or their child custody arrangement to avoid the inevitable pitfalls that are going to come from being with somebody like that on the other side. You know, it is diagnosable. So you can have a court order, a psychiatric or psychological evaluation of, of a person in a divorce or really in a child custody case. I, I don't think court's probably going to do it if there are no kids. Maybe, but probably not. And then you can subject them to that. That's got its own set of issues, getting that court order, the cost of it, and getting an accurate evaluation of the person. Because that's one, like you mentioned, uh, these are typically often talented people at, at hiding it or are minimizing it or those kind of things. And so mental health is not a true science. And since you don't put, you know, one plus one isn't two, it's something of an art and something of a science. And so, but yeah, tell me your thoughts about how would be the best way to approach that. Yeah, the court does have, and depending on what case, what court you're in front of, what judge you're in front of, they do have that ability to get that evaluation done. And it's like you were saying, Brian, it, it 
gives me, it's not necessarily determinative, but it gives me insight as a judge about how these folks are going to operate, co-parent moving forward. Is it possible for them to co-parent? Can they make joint decisions? Can this person put their children's needs above their own? Um, these are all things that I have to know as a judge or that I want to know as a judge. And so, yeah, we're often asking for psychological evaluations to be done in these situations. But in the cases that the psychological evaluations aren't done or, you know, worse, sometimes you see psychological evaluations and the, and the professional just missed the ball, right? I've been hired on cases where somebody comes and so-and-so, Dr. So-and-so performed the evaluation. They just missed the fact that my spouse is borderline personality disorder, or narcissistic personality disorder, you know, death sentence, right, for the case. You can still go in there and, and show to the court the behaviors that you're seeing. It, it's nice to have the diagnosis, right? So you can tell the judge, Dr. So-and-so has diagnosed this individual with narcissistic personality disorder. This is what it is. This is what you expect to see. But it's not necessary. I mean, at the end of the day, it's like what judges talk about a lot of times when we argue about alcohol use disorder. Is this person moderate or severe or mild on alcohol use disorder. It's like, why do I care if he's driving with the kids in the car drunk? I don't care what you call it. That's a problem. And if I've got a spouse that cannot co-parent, cannot communicate, cannot empathize, call it whatever you want. That's a problem as a judge. So it is nice to have that diagnosis. It's not absolutely necessary because at the end of the day, the judge is going to look at how these people have behaved and then try to use that to predict how they're going to behave in the future. Yeah, I agree. That's really the key. If we want to narrow it down to a child custody situation, if the issue is, okay, we have a child with special needs that's going to need you know, a consistent cooperation with their education system. I'm going to need to decide about, you know, if does this child need any kind of special school to attend or particular accommodations, just to use one example of several. What's the dynamic been like? Um, have these two parents worked together well and that in the past? If so, then, you know, even if there are some underlying issues in conflict, then the court may well decide that then it's okay to try to make those decisions in the future. But if there's been a problem driven by the narcissism or whatever the or alcohol or whatever the problem is, then the court's going to try to look ahead and say, all right, this has been a problem. They have not been able to agree. And I need to come up with a mechanism, probably giving one parent the control over that part of it and the other parent just being informed but not having control is an example. And I mean, that's why we have judges, right? We don't just plug all this into a computer and out comes an outcome. We, we have judges or juries, which are human beings, and they're going to apply their common sense and knowledge and experience to try to solve a problem. Well, it's a flip too, right? I mean, I've had people hire me that they've undergone an evaluation and Dr. So-and-so diagnosed them with a personality disorder that we feel that the evidence doesn't support the diagnosis, but the doctor, again, they're, they're human beings. Like you're saying, it's not a hard science. It's a soft science. And so we're also on the flip side of things where you have somebody that's been misdiagnosed or, or maybe they have the diagnosis, but they're working on it in therapy and they're making progress and everything. And so you really sort of focusing on behaviors. So I don't think the diagnosis isn't a determinative no different than, you know, if you're married to a narcissist, you don't need a mental health professional telling you this is what your spouse has. You know, you know, right? And you know the problems that it's presenting in your relationship. And that's probably why you're on the phone, unfortunately, talking to a divorce lawyer, because even though you've given it your best shot, it's just the same story time and time again. And, you know, I think to wrap up, 
on it, what I would say, you know, when clients ask, what do I expect in the court process for divorcing a narcissist or having a child custody litigation with a narcissist? When I was an associate, I was taught, I used to I work for Jim Piper, who's our, of counsel now. And Jim used to always tell clients, you know, it's like, why would you expect your spouse to behave differently in litigation than he or she did during your marriage? I think that rings true. And it's unfortunate, right? That people behave and treat the litigation system a lot of times the way they treat their spouse in a relationship. And so if you're going through a divorce with a narcissist, you know, I think you need to be prepared that they may be behaving the exact same way in the litigation and you're just going to have to stand up to them. Just like you're making the phone call to a divorce lawyer, you're going to have to stand up to the litigation because it's not going to stop. I mean, it's just, and like you were saying, Brian, there's, you know, judges aren't perfect, but I think they do a really good job. And I think they do a good job of figuring out these situations and doing what's best for families, even when you have somebody with this personality disorder. Yeah, exactly. And um, that's the light at the end of the tunnel is that it, it will eventually be over. And you won't have to deal with that again, hopefully. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's one of many issues on that we'll be discussing, you know, various other things in our series and other podcasts. We've had mental health professionals on and we'll be doing that in the future as well to sort of talk about some of this stuff more in depth. But that's our series for this time and we'll talk to everybody next. For information about the topics covered in today's episode and more, you can visit our website at waltersgilbreth.com. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of For Better, Worse, or Divorce, where we post new episodes every first and third Wednesday. Do you have a topic you want discussed or a question for our hosts? Email us at podcast at waltersgilbreth.com. Thanks for listening. Until next time.